You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Rayley, we've got a really great episode in store for you today. I don't know about a lot of you, my brain is full on shifting towards turkey season. And um, man, you know, I get some messages every now and then. Yeah, guys, I do. I do know that other things exist in Wisconsin besides deer and turkeys. And um, I try to cover that <laughs> the, be- the best that I can. But man, it's where my mind goes, right? Like I'm right now here at the end of February. I'm just getting really antsy, really itchy. Can't wait to get to Wisconsin. I have a uh, period A tag uh, or period A harvest authorization, if we want to be correct and appropriate about it all. So, um, yeah, I I can't wait to get in the woods. And so I don't think it's too early to start talking about turkeys, especially the conversation that we've got going on today, because it's as much a conversation about wild turkeys as it is a conversation about conservation conservation in the state of Wisconsin. Now, for a lot of you who've been hunting for a while, you know the wild turkey, especially, well, really across the nation, but the wild turkey in Wisconsin is a conservation success story. It wasn't all that long ago that, you know, turkeys were basically non-existent in the state. They were gone. I think they were extirpated like around 1880, 1890, something like that. But today I've got Taylor Finger from the Wisconsin DNR. He is the game bird ecologist with the DNR and very, very knowledgeable guy. He handles more than just turkeys. He's also uh, charged with rough grouse and uh, waterfowl, I believe. He's got his hands in a lot of things, but man, the guy knows his stuff, especially when it comes to the history of the wild turkey. I had a chance to catch up with him right after he got back from the NWTF convention. Man, it's just a really, really good conversation about the history of the wild turkey in Wisconsin, kind of where we came from. We talked about the conservation efforts to get the turkey population to where it was, say, you know, 10 years ago when we saw a a massive boom and sort of the peak of turkey numbers in the state of Wisconsin. And now where we are, where things have kind of plateaued and and leveled off. And, And from what I've been learning here lately, you know, I've heard a lot of guys say like, oh man, you know, 10 years ago, we had way more birds. And, and, And that's all fine and good. But from what I've learned doing some research lately, and we touch on it in this conversation, animals that have been removed from the landscape, when they are reintroduced, they have this time period, if they're going to be successful, where their populations just go through the roof and they're kind of off the charts. You're like, holy cow, these things are everywhere. But then something happens where populations come back down to a sustainable level for the area. And so uh, we talk a little bit about why, you know, Wisconsin has reached a stable population of wild turkeys even after hitting the peak and coming down wisconsin has hit a stable population faster than a lot of other states that have introduced the wild turkey we talk about why that's the case why other states are struggling where wisconsin is not we talk about the season structure we talk about what turkeys are doing all year long it's just a really good conversation i think you're going to not only learn a lot but i think it's going to get you fired up for turkey season uh man if you don't hunt turkeys 
you should give it a shot, especially if you live in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a premier turkey hunting state, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other people that I've had the opportunity to talk with about turkey hunting in Wisconsin. Now time for all the plugs and all that good stuff that I have to do every single week. Number one, if you have not already, please go like, subscribe, follow this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Don't really care where that's at. Just make sure that you are following along so that you don't miss a single episode. If you really want to help us out, guys, you can go leave us a review. Five stars if you think we've earned it. Less if not. Only thing I ask is that if you do leave us less than five stars, please let me know what we can do to improve because that rating system is there not just to say, hey, this podcast stinks, but uh, let the people who produce the podcast and the people who uh, might be interested in the podcast know why you gave them less than five stars. So we want to get better doing what we do. We want to get better at our craft, and that includes getting your feedback and knowing what you guys think about what we do. Next, if you have not already, please go follow us on Instagram so that you can keep up with what we're doing so that you can get a hold of us if you have guests you'd like for us to have on, if you have questions that you would like. And uh, yes, you can just see the things that we are up to and sharing. That's also the primary way that I post to let you guys know, hey, there's a new episode out. In case you missed it, you should go check it out. Also, if our partners are having some kind of sale or something like that, I'll typically share that on social media. So yeah, go give us a follow there on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman. Or if you want to check out my other podcast at How to Hunt Deer, that's also on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. Now time to thank the people who helped me make this show possible. First of all, Tacticam, they are the title sponsor of this show. There is no easier, more effective, cheaper way to start filming your hunts. I know a lot of guys like to film their hunts on their phones. That's all fine and good. I prefer to have my phone in a position where I can use it if I want to look at Onyx or reading stuff on my phone, whatever. Tacticam makes filming and sharing your hunts an absolute breeze right now their flagship model is the tacticam 6.0 it gives you up to 8x zoom it has a touchscreen display uh, the image stabilization is fantastic gives you 4k 60 frame per second footage obviously the one touch operation that you have come to expect from other tacticam models it is waterproof it performs great in low light settings and uh, it's compatible with their remote control i think with their remote you can control like up to seven different cameras or something like that I've had the chance to put that to test. I love using the remote. I've got a couple of different cameras that I use all at once. My big plan for turkey season is to have a Tacticam on my shotgun, a Tacticam on my blind looking out at my decoys if I'm using decoys, and a Tacticam or two set up out in the decoy spread. When that Tom starts coming in, I know he's going to be coming into, into view for the cameras. Just grab that remote, click one button, all cameras come on and start recording at the same time. It's fantastic. So if you're not already using Tacticam products, you need to go check them out, Tacticam.com. If you are already using Tacticam cameras, but you don't have that remote yet, guys, that's a game changer for filming your hunts. So you got to go grab that. It's even good if you only have one Tacticam, maybe on the end of your bow or something like that, because when a deer is coming in, turkey's coming in, rather than reaching out and, and clicking that thing on the end of your weapon, all you have to do, you can have the remote right there in your pocket, push the button right there in your pocket. Very, very little movement. Again, that's Tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth. Guys, I can't say enough good things about the Huntworth clothing. Last fall was my first fall using it, and man, it was comfortable. It was durable. It did everything that I wanted it to do, and it checked all the boxes for me. It was lightweight. It was not bulky, and it kept me warm, especially their stuff with the graphing technology, their heat boost line. Man, that stuff is fantastic. I'm a big fan of the tarnin pattern. My plan right now is to go ahead and run that right on into turkey season. I was very, very impressed this fall when I was deer hunting of how well that tarnin pattern blends into a variety of different settings. And so I am really looking forward to testing that out and seeing how it does in the spring turkey woods. I know it's going to do super well for the period A tag. I wonder about later on in May as things really, really start to green up. But, you know, with the way I like to hunt, I'm typically up against a tree. I'm back in the shadows. I think this is going to be great. I don't think you need a lot of the bright greens in a camo pattern because that just doesn't fit the places that I often sit. Now, if I'm sitting out in the middle of a grass field, like, yeah, maybe I want something a little more green, but that's not going to be happening. So anyway, guys, go check them out. Huntworthgear.com. That tarnin pattern. I'm a huge fan. Finally, Onyx Maps. This is that time of year where we are putting boots on the ground, doing some scouting. I was out just the other day, actually covered another five-ish miles or so 
um, here on a 30,000 acre piece of public that I am trying to dissect. And man, let me tell you, 30,000 acres is just absolutely daunting when it comes to, um, you know, trying to break it down, trying to scout it. And one of the things that I have been doing is just trying to find an area that I want to concentrate. So I've kind of been covering a lot of ground until I figure out, okay, this 200 acres or this 300 acres or this 50 acres or whatever it is, is the, the best of what I've seen or my favorite of what I've seen, or maybe there's less pressure in here than anywhere else that I've seen. So I'm still kind of hopping around doing a lot of that right now. Onyx has been an absolute lifesaver in this situation. I've got pins all over the place. One of the features that I'm really digging right now though, as I'm scouting in the off season, is the tracker. Uh, I simply turn the tracker on, go for a walk. By the time that I'm done, I can look back and see, okay, what did I cover well? What did I not cover well? And actually one of my favorite parts of the tracker feature, sometimes I just forget to, to mark something. So I was out last weekend, I found an amazing buck bed on the end of a ridge that set up well for a southwest wind. The buck was looking out over the bottom. There were tons of acorns down on the bottom. On the other side of the bottom up that ridge, there was a clear cut. So the spot is dynamite. It's gonna set up really, really well. Early season, I think, but I'll have to get a camera in there and, and figure that part out. But I forgot to mark it. I forgot to drop a pin in this thermal hub and may have had a difficult time finding it back, except for the fact that I went ahead and turned my tracker on before I began my walk. Well, wouldn't you know it, my track is right there. I can see exactly where I walked up the ridge to get to the buck bed and how I kind of walked in circles, spending a little bit more time in this area. So that was a lifesaver. If you're not already using Onyx, you can get a seven day free trial right now. Just go find them on the app store of your choice. And if you have more questions, check out their website, onxmaps.com. Now let's get into the conversation with Taylor Finger from the Wisconsin DNR. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Taylor Finger with the Wisconsin DNR. What's going on, Taylor? Hey, Josh, how we doing? I'm happy to be here. Really excited to talk with you. Yeah, man, thanks for making the time for this. I know you guys are busy. We've had to, um, had to move things around a couple of times to try to make this happen. You're a busy guy. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I am. Like, February is a busy month. February is a big deal doves. for you. Yeah, handling doves, handling turkeys, and now we're dealing with ducks, geese, and swans. Yeah, so your official title is Game Bird Ecologist for the DNR in Wisconsin. And uh, basically what that looks like at this point is everything except for deer. Uh, you just kind of <laughs> do it all. You're all over the place. You're everywhere. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's all yours. Not quite so bad, but it feels like it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm handling uh, migratory game birds, turkeys, pheasants, rough grouse, and then uh, small game, so rabbits and squirrels and things along those lines. Awesome. Well, we're, we're recording this on February 20th. You're fresh off of the NWTF show. So tell yeah, me a little bit about your experience at NWTF this year. Was it your first time going or had you been in years past? Yeah, no, this was my first time at Opryland in Nashville. And yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. Let me tell you, I've, I, I've said this now multiple times, having been the waterfowl guy for years before is turkey hunters care far more about turkey hunting than duck hunters care about duck hunting. It's a, it, it is an experience. Yeah. Yeah. So did the facility itself just blow you away? Because I, I've stayed there before and walking in is like, this is like uh, what I would envision a colony on Mars being like, yeah, like right. if, if we ever colonize Mars, like that's what it would be like. Yeah. It's a whole town under glass with a jungle in the middle and a river. And yeah, <laughs> it was, I mean, walking from one end to the other takes you almost 20 minutes and right. it's all inside the same building. Yeah. So what did you see? What did you come away with at the NWTF that, that you're like, Hey, that's a really cool product. Hey, that's an innovative way of thinking, or maybe, you know, somebody presented on something or talked about something that you really walked away and said, Hmm, that's something we need to give more attention to. Yeah, this was, so this is their 50th anniversary. So NWTS 50th anniversary. So again, a lot of it was having seminars and hearing about what it took for 50 years uh, to get to where we're at. You know, 50 years ago, we didn't have turkeys and we had an awesome panel discussion with the original uh, NWTF uh, research biologist. So, you know, he was able to be there and be part of that and tell you all the stories of what they had to do and, wow. the, you know, the backroom decisions and discussions that had to happen and how they moved these birds around. And just, again, highlighting all of the volunteer work and the effort that it took from NWTF because they were absolutely instrumental. They were the what the states needed to lean on to make sure that turkeys 
were successfully reintroduced. Yeah, absolutely. And now there's there's such a groundswell, it appears, not only with the NWTF, but Turkeys for Tomorrow and the work that's being done at the university level by, you know, researchers and grad students. I mean, right now, this is, you know, this may not be the golden age of turkey hunting, meaning, you know, numbers were maybe higher or that hunting was, quote unquote, better uh, yeah. 10 to 15 years ago. But man, this might be the golden age to be a turkey hunter if you really care about the bird and about conservation and about hunting and putting them all together, this might be it. Yeah, there's more turkey research happening right now across the state, whether it's state agencies or universities, than have happened ever since. Like there, right now, I think there's 20 or 30 different turkey uh, research telemetry projects going on right now. Just because, again, like you said, it's a hot topic thing in the south and southeast part of the country. Turkey numbers are are struggling, and so all of our previous research was when turkey numbers were going up. So now we need to get an idea of exactly what's going on if the turkey numbers are stable or going down. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a little bit about me. I grew up in the southeast. Grew up in the deep south. I grew up in Mobile. Actually, you were recently not too far from my stomping grounds. We were talking about the food, uh, you know, before we we got going here. It's funny when I moved to Wisconsin. People would ask me, "Hey, like, what do you miss the most from living in the south? Like, what's the food that you miss the most?" And I would always tell them it's not like one thing. It's just the way everything is done. Is that is that fair, do you think? Absolutely, yeah. Again, just being a central Wisconsin kid, you know, going down there and they're like, I'm like, so what are grits? Like, what is that? Like, yeah. you know, or <laughs> hush puppies or things along those lines. They're looking at me like, what? where are you coming from, the hills? Like, what's <laughs> happening? But, no, it's absolutely a cultural thing, and everyone is just super nice. It was, I really look forward to getting out when I do travel and experiencing the culture. But, yeah, yeah, and, and food is an event in itself for us down, down in the yes. south. I mean, it is. Like that is the central thing. It is the hub of all socialization pretty much. Yeah. When you have crawfish boils and you just dump it out on the table and everyone just sits around eating off of the table. I mean, it, it is an event. <laughs> it, it's an experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, so I grew up in the deep South and interestingly enough, I never really hunted turkeys much until I moved to Wisconsin. Now that was because I, I hunted in some areas and lived in some areas where the turkey populations just weren't, they weren't great. And to be honest with you, that old guard of turkey hunters, so we were in a, we were in a club actually for a while that had a, a decent turkey hunting population. And there were a couple of the older guys in the club who, uh, who hunted turkeys. And they were the old style of turkey hunter that it was just quiet. And I mean, I'm a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. My dad doesn't turkey hunt. And I would ask them about it. Like, man, what, what is it like to turkey hunt? And they would just shrug me off. Just totally... <laughs> Totally didn't want to talk to me about it at all. Uh, They even got protective over some parts of the club because there were areas that I like to hunt during during the the fall for deer. And they would always say, because this was one of the counties where uh, fall turkey harvest was legal in Alabama, which there were only a handful. And they would always say, hey, that's fine. You go down in there, but we don't kill fall turkeys. Like, don't do it. Don't kill any fall turkeys. It's like, all right, I I guess so. But. (laughs) So anyway, the, the turkey hunting culture is, is really, really rich in the South, it seems. Like, that's kind of the heartbeat of turkey hunting. But then I moved to Wisconsin, and turkeys were everywhere. Like, yes. they're, they're in the fields. They're in, the, like, in my front yard, walking through the yard. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I might need to figure out how to, how to hunt these things, right? Like, Make this a thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let, let's see what this is all about. And then I got hooked, like, really, really quick. I had a guy take me. Had success on the first morning out. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I bought a diaphragm call from Walmart, stuck it in my mouth, and went out and killed a bird one morning, like <laughs> right off the roost. Just like, what? What is, I mean, yes. just the best way to possibly get somebody addicted. It happened to me. And so I just want to hear more, kind of to kick things off, about the wild turkey in Wisconsin, because um, it might be the heyday, maybe five, 10 years ago were the heyday in Wisconsin for, as far as turkey numbers go. But um, it, it, it's in, it's incredible. Like it, it is an, yeah. it is at an incredible level compared to what some other states have to offer. So tell me a little bit about maybe the history of the wild turkey and where we sure. came from because things didn't look so good 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, I mean, truly a success story. So again, in Wisconsin, we went for a long time without turkeys. I mean, the last turkey that was shot in the state of Wisconsin was in the 1880s. 
So again, you're wow. thinking we, we went until almost the 1970s where we said, okay, we're going to start doing a reintroduction effort. And starting in the seventies, we had probably three or four different efforts that, you know, we got it off the ground, we get some birds and all of a sudden it would fail. We'd have a really harsh winter. We'd have some, some problems with it. So again, late in probably the late 1970s, we started in the Southwest part of the state and we really ramped up the efforts that we had. We, we were all of a sudden we we're, you know, we translocated turkeys from Missouri. We gave them rough grouse. They gave us turkeys. Worked out better for us than it did for them. But um, we ended up doing that. And all of a sudden, we could see really good numbers in the southwest part of the state. And what happened was is we had a capacity issue in terms of staff being able to make this spread out. So then NWTF, you know, came with us back, you know, in the early to mid-1970s and said, hey, we got volunteers. We got people. Can we help out with this? And directly, the NWTF were the group that just loaded up turkeys in boxes, drove them around to different parts of the state, dropped them off at over, we had like 250 different locations in the state of Wisconsin that we released these birds with the idea that we didn't want to do it too far north because we were concerned about snow depth and concerned about cold. And again, by, you know, the you know early 1990s, we're having hunting seasons and almost statewide and just, just the huge boom that we had with that and as you said it's it's been interesting to see because it is exactly what you would expect to see with a reintroduced population whether i'm talking you know cranes we're talking swans we're talking anything along those lines is you see this exponential growth basically like there's all of this awesome habitat and you see this huge boom and you know probably about 10 to 15 years ago we peaked you know probably about 10 years ago we peaked in terms of way we monitor populations at this point we're doing some new research on it but we monitor populations through harvest in the springtime and you can see yeah we peaked probably in you know 2010 2011 and then since then we came down but we've been basically fluctuating at an annual level for about the past decade which is what carrying capacity is if you google what carrying capacity is you see that population overshoots what the landscape can sustain and then it levels out at some lower population. And that's where we've been at. And again, it's, we think we have, you know, it's not just habitat too, you know, habitat is part of the primary thing, thing that we have in terms of whether or not populations will increase or decrease, but you also have to take into account, okay, what about predators right now? That's a big one in that we don't have, you know, good fur prices at, you know, at a national or an international level. So just people aren't out there trapping, squirrels, I mean, trapping raccoons, trapping possums, trapping skunks, doing all those types of things. So again, it's one of those things that this is where we're at in the current climate that we're at in terms of the landscape level. So, but again, we're still this year, we are out there putting over 200,000 tags in the springtime and, you know, having as much opportunity as we, as we can. And that's the, that's the really big thing is that the hunters have appreciated that. And we've been seeing that when we do our surveys, that this is like you said, when you come and you see lots of turkeys, you feel pretty good. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's kind of where we want to be. Yeah. One, yeah. one of the things that is, that has been a, a shock to me, um, you know, one of the ways that hunters gauge a successful outing is whether or not they hear birds, right? Like yeah. you might not see anything, you might not kill anything, but if you heard one gobbling on the roost, well, man, it was a good morning, right? Like I was, yep. I was in the game and I can only think of maybe one or two mornings in Wisconsin that I've gone out and not heard birds gobbling right. or not, not been able to get on a bird. Right. That, the interesting thing again is we, we look at harvests and we can look at success of if you bought a license, did you register a bird? And annually we fluctuate between 17 and 20% success rate. What other hunting can you go out there and say, I'm only going to be 18% successful. And when we ask our hunters via surveys, are you satisfied? 75 to 80% of hunters say they're satisfied. So again, the idea that it is more about the experience rather than the actual, oh, I shot a bird. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious when it comes to um, sort of where the population was, the stabilization of the population at this point. And some other states that have come before us. I was listening to another podcast the other day. Uh, I think it's called the Turkey Science Podcast. It's a new one. Uh, you know, Turkeys for Tomorrow has been a, a supporter of that. Um, one of their things was, like you just said, when animals are, re- are reintroduced, 
you see this huge surge in the population. Then you see things kind of taper off after that and find some kind of stability, right? A lot of other states are further along than the state of Wisconsin when it comes to their stocking process. So right now, um, they are, you know, maybe 20 years ahead, 30 years ahead of, of Wisconsin. But we've seen some other states struggle where, whereas Wisconsin has kind of plateaued and maybe leveled off a little bit already, other states, maybe not so much. There's still a lot of volatility. Can you dive into maybe why Wisconsin hit a, a stable level sooner? And, and so again, what we're, what we had this discussion at the NWTF meeting, meeting with a bunch of really, really smart guys and the habitat shift or change in the South has been so much more dramatic yeah. than it has been in the North. Yep. So again, if you look at, you know, the landscape in the state of Wisconsin over the last 20 years and compare that to the landscape and habitat in Florida over the last 20 years, I mean, we're, we haven't changed. We, we, it's, you know, it, nothing really has Wisconsin right now, according to our foresters, we are as, as forested now as we have been since settlers came to Wisconsin. Wow. So when, when you think about that is we have the habitat that, to, to sustain them. And I think that's why we have leveled out is that you don't see all of this shift from these small, you know, isolated woodlands and just wiping them all out and making huge farm operations. We, I mean, whether our big one is our dairy operations and small dairy farms, they're just being grown up into forests. They're not being, you know, all of a sudden consolidated into big tracts of, of farmland. So again, we've been fortunate that I think we have the habitat to sustain the population until something dramatically changes in that I, you know, I don't foresee, you know, this huge dip. The, the thing that's driving populations, especially in the South and Southeast part of the country is productivity. So the amount of poles per hen and habitat is habitat and predators are the two things that are going to drive how successful a hen is able to fledge a pole because basically everything eats a baby turkey. So um, if they don't have good habitat to get away from things, they don't have that, you know, all of that room that they need, especially forested. So that's the big one is, I mean, we think, oh, they like fields, they like edges, but I mean, you have avian predators. If they have no place to get away from them, hawks, them owls, they're going to absolutely get those birds. So for us, we're, we're pretty fortunate. I think that's kind of when, why we've seen the stabilization as you know, earlier than what other states have seen. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm a really good answer to that question, I think, because yeah, as I think about my upbringing in, in Alabama, and even, you know, being in the South right now, um, yeah, every it, it's very, very different. Not only, not only is it different, just the way that we relate to our forests in the South is very, very different because uh, it is our cash crop in the right. South, right? Like we don't plant rows of corns; we plant rows of pine trees, right. and then we and then we take them out with something that looks a lot like, you know, it it, it they're removed just like a row crop. You know, you come right. in, and you yeah. cut it out with big machinery and, and that was missing out on food. That's, I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, yep. having forests is nice, but pine trees aren't providing any type of resource for turkeys other than roosting. Yep. That's right. And they've got to be, they, there are some ways that, that pine stands can produce food, but they have to be really carefully managed. Like you have to right. be really on top of your burns. You've got to be really on top of your succession, you know, at your age structure within the, the timber itself. And yep. from my understanding, you know, we in the South, they do it on these large scales, you know, 100 acre chunks of clear cuts, 200 acre clear cuts. Turkeys really benefit a lot more from a five acre clear cut next to a five acre tall timber stand right. rather than a 400 yeah. acre clear cut next to 400 acres of mature timber. Right. Yeah. Having again, having all of those edges, that's that's the big one rather than just, you know, one homogenous change versus yeah if we can get into this spot get into this spot it gives them avenues to get to where they want to do without you know making them success success susceptible to other issues just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the wisconsin sportsman podcast is brought to you by tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers they're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right 
or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. Tell me a little bit about the uh, the productivity, uh, you know, Pulse for Hen in Wisconsin. When I, I read last spring, maybe it was last summer, when uh, some studies first started saying, like, here's what we're seeing Pulse per Hen-wise, and it was like 0.9, you know, or 1.1 Pulse per Hen, and it's like, that's not a sustainable population model. No. Like we can't. Yeah, Missouri keep, had some just terrible numbers. Yeah. And yeah we, they were less we than one. Yeah. We can't keep going down that road. How do things look in Wisconsin? So we're just kind of kicking off this thing. We used to do a 10 week brood survey, which was we would have volunteers from the public as well as a state staff. And it was like literally you print out a piece of paper and you drive around and in 10 weeks you record all of them birds that you've seen. We did that for almost 30 years. And what happened was, is we got lower and lower participation and that to the point where we weren't confident in the numbers. So starting in 2020, we, uh, we actually ramped up and went live last year in July is we have this game brood app that the DNR is free and it's free to the public. It's free to staff and it's right on your phone. And it basically is, if you're driving around, you just pull it up and can say, okay, well, I saw one hen with seven poles. And, um, it's, we, we really are, we're ramping up our communication effort on this because I mean this last year, so we hardly had any time to do it. And we still had over a thousand observations that came in just related to Turkey. And we're going to do this for pheasant. We're going to do this for rough grouse. And, you know, I'm going to all the NWTF banquets. I'm going to pheasants forever banquets, try to get like these, this out in front of people, because this is a really cool, I mean, who doesn't want to help provide this type of information? And because it's going to directly influence their ability to hunt, our ability to manage all of that. So with last year being our first, it's one data point. So you don't put a ton of, you know, credence into one data point. You like to have at least three, four, five years worth of data points. But, you know, we were seeing in the south, probably in the southern half of the state, around three, three to 3.2 pulse uh, per hen. And up in the north, we were seeing like almost five, four to five up in the north. So again, whether or not that that's, you know, either, either way, we're nowhere near that one number, which yeah. makes us feel really, really happy. And it coincides with what we've been hearing from hunters as well as staff in the north and that turkey numbers are doing great up yeah. north. Like, if I mean, they're growing in the north, not, not quite so much in the south, but in the north, turkey numbers are doing quite well. And again, related directly to that habitat. Yeah. And what a, what a cool opportunity, too. So we talked about that on the show, actually. Um, and, and I think there was a fawn count going on yep. around the same time this year, right? Summer deer observation. Yeah. 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 So um, we talked about both of those on the, on the show here, actually encouraging people to try to, to try to get involved with that. And what a cool opportunity for your, you and your kids or you and your buddy, like make a thing of make a competition of it. Like who can see more or whatever. I mean, what a cool thing to do in the summer when, you know, really not a lot to do as far as deer hunting, turkey hunting, that kind of thing. And I'd like to fish, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it, it just gets me by, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not the thing I wake up for. Um, no. so yeah, anyway, awesome way to get the, to get the public involved. Um, I'm curious what kind of hunter feedback you're getting as you guys consider, you know, we're ramping up studies, we're ramping up, uh, you know, volunteer involvement. What kind of reception is this getting? Because there's such a groundswell around the rest of the nation of all this excitement about, Hey, the turkeys need our help again. You know, are we are we seeing that same thing in the in, in Wisconsin? Absolutely. I went to the National Wild Turkey Federation State Convention and I gave a presentation. I provided a, a one pager for them of to highlight, uh, you know, that this game brood thing is coming. And I got at least six uh, invites to banquets to say, "Hey, come and give that and print out as many of those as we can give out." Wow, that type of thing. Because if we can get that in front of folks, it's just it's a like you said, it's a way to be active in a way to feel like you're, you know, being involved in something in a time of the year where you don't typically think turkey. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, again, I think, yeah, that there is a, a ton of support for it. And I think that if we can, if we can garner that, you know, harness all of that in, you know, that effort, harness all of that excitement, 
I think we can, and the nice thing is, is the GPS from your phone gives us exact location. So now we can really hone down to, okay, well, productivity in this zone might be better than this zone. Or even by county, if we can get enough data, we can really look at, okay, what's the habitat type that we're seeing the most productivity in? And is that something that we should be managing for? And then again, this will be everything in terms of how we want to manage turkeys moving into the future. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, so let, let's shift into uh, a topic that I, I'm curious about with Wisconsin, especially southern Wisconsin where I hunt, um, just full of agriculture, right? And there, there's that topic of neonicotinoids and the potential impact that they're having on especially turkey poults, right? Because not, not, not only because of, you know, seed that's being consumed, but, but bugs that are being consumed in those first couple of weeks of life that have been impacted by a plant that had the neonicotinoids in, in it. Uh, I had Dr. Grant Woods on last year. We talked a little bit about this topic, uh, and I know there have been some studies done over in Europe on their impact on um, songbirds and that kind of thing. So I'm curious about just your thoughts, or is there anything in the works to say, hey, we might need to look into this because, you know, while things may be stable or even growing in the northern portion of the state, this could be our next huge hurdle. Right. Yeah, this is, it's a, it's an interesting one because I mean, there is, there's quite a few studies actually happening here uh, in the United States. Uh, right now, I know of a couple that are dealing with wetland dependent species because of how that runs off and then potentially oh, yeah. are affecting aquatic inverts. And then is that for waterfowl? Is that for terns? Is that for kingfishers? All that type of stuff. Wow. So that's one that I know that you don't, you don't think about. And no, I would absolutely agree that it's a concern. Neonics is it's one of those, I mean, it's poison. You know, you put poison on it. It is what yeah. it we're, is. We're and, poisoning everything. But, so yeah, we and, should be concerned about uh, it. We've identified, I mean, federally, they've identified that there's no neonics on any federal, uh, any federal lands that, you know, they lease out or do anything along those lines. And let's say Wisconsin, we, within the last two or three years, we made the same decision that we are not going to be putting or allowing any sharecropping on state property using neonic treated seeds. But that being said, when 98% of all of the agriculture in the state of Wisconsin is private, you know, are we just a drop in the drop in the ocean in terms of our ability to try to manage or affect that? And it, what's really going to have to come down to it is FDA and the agriculture people are going to have to say, hey, that this is we're worried about pollinators, we're worried about birds, we're worried about other things. That's going to be the thing that's going to drive that. And yeah, like I said, future research will help hopefully identify that and make a decision. But right now, it's big money. Unix is big money, and when you all of a sudden you start affecting the bottom line of you know, how successful your crops are and you can't blame a farmer. They're trying to make a living. You know, that's their livelihood. If they're going to use the the best resources out there to make sure that they have the most amount of money for their families and along those lines. But yeah, when it comes to wildlife management, boy, I wish they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I, we're probably at a really good time though, to begin to have that conversation. Like even though, yeah, it could affect the bottom dollar. We're at a good time to have it because I see more farms, uh, switching to no-till planting methods and that kind of thing. I see agricultural practices beginning to change a little bit. And so, you know what, if that's part of the conversation, wonderful. It, it's, it's at a really good time. Um, you know, I'd like to see us go the direction of, and I'm, I'll probably get messages for this. I'd like to see us go the direction of the European Union uh, when it comes to their response to neonics and what we do with them. They said, let's just get rid of them. And they found other ways now who knows if those other ways are just as bad. They're, they may find out in about 20 years, but. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. We'll all be learning from it. But yeah, like I said, it'll be, the discussion will have to be ongoing for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the season structure in Wisconsin, because, um, you know, growing up, the turkey season started March 15th in Alabama, ran through, I think it was May 1st or May 15th or something like that. You had your, I think it was five or six bird limit for the couple weeks of season. You treated it like deer season, right? You just hunted all year long. Um, I didn't do a ton of, of hunting for turkeys then, but that was the that was the season structure. Then I moved to Wisconsin, and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> Apply for tags, lottery draw, one week? How in the world? It used to be five days. Yeah, yeah now we're up to seven. Yeah, <laughs> getting, uh, getting loose and... and, and, and bougie there with all the extra days but uh you know it, it's 
it blew my mind at first of how can how can these hunters be successful you know when it comes to having the season break up and then now I've come to really really appreciate the season yeah. structure of Wisconsin and I've come to really look forward to it and I've come to um like last year for instance I hunted all six seasons um with other people right like right. I I had my own tag for a couple of seasons my son had a tag for a season. My wife had a tag for a season. A buddy had a tag for a season. So I was out for six weeks tagging along with other people just with a video yeah. camera in hand. Had a blast. My most fun turkey season by far. I killed fewer birds than I did the previous two seasons. But still had an awesome time, right? And it's, and it's because of that season structure. And, and I think that that preserves the quality of the hunt and also the population of turkeys. And so I just want to hear from your perspective why it's set up the way that it is, and what benefits come from that. Yeah, so you hit exactly on it is turkey hunters are, they're trading the ability to be successful for having to compete with hunters. Yep. That's, that, that, that is exactly why we have the structure we have is because, you know, for example, if you have a, you know, a two and a half, three month season, everyone's going to pile into the woods on that first week because they want to hear turkeys gobble that's, you know, they're going crazy in the roost They're down, they're gobbling. They might not come to you cause they're all going to be hend up, but that's when everything's happened. That's the action. That's what people are looking for. And that's why we have specific quotas and for each zone and each time period, because if we didn't, everyone, it would be like opening day of deer season. They would all be going out on that first weekend. And then you have three, four hunters trying to, Bite one bird, you know, you're all calling against each other. You're going to be less successful than if something heaven forbid happens, then it's a con, you know, you got this conflict of interest and then everyone's coming away mad. So at least, you know, if, if I go out there and I didn't shoot a bird, but I didn't see a person, you know, that wasn't a bad morning. That, yep. That's the type of situation. And that's, that has been, you know, it, when, like I said, when we do our surveys, like seven, you get 70% of hunters to agree on anything. You don't change it. That, yeah. That, that's where we're at is, is that if we can at least get that and they, they do support it. And fortunately for us, I think it's, we're going to benefit as managers. Cause if the population does, we start seeing an issue with it. Turkey hunting is additive in terms of population. So if you don't shoot a Tom, an adult, Tom, he makes it uh, two years old. Studies in the South are about 90% of, he will hit 90% success rate in surviving over an annual process. So again, unless you're shooting lead at their head, they don't die. So when you have a season or you have a permit process like this, if we say, hey, turkey numbers are going down, we can rein in fall harvest. We can rein in spring harvest. We can do those types of things. And again, if you are shooting less turkeys, there's going to be more turkeys on the landscape. That's what the science has shown us. So fortunately right now we've been able to keep stable, you know, with what we want, with the hunters supporting it. But if things were to go, you know, in a negative direction, then all of a sudden we have the ability by zones, you know, essentially statewide to shift where we think harvest should be. We can change the amount of permits to maybe increase permits later in the year rather than those first couple of seasons. Cause we know that the dominant toms are breeding earlier and the successful hens are breeding earlier. So having those early seasons, you know, that's where, you know, most of the rubber meets the road in terms of affecting the population. So if you, if we had to, we could, you know, still provide opportunity, but now you're in, you know, the, what would be the second week of May or the third week of May and maybe be ramping up that because, you know, it might not be as exciting in terms of gobbling, but you're still getting opportunity while we're allowing the population to recover. This episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. Let's dive in just a little bit to talk about uh, kind of what the wild turkey is doing throughout the season in Wisconsin because a lot of the literature that I read and a lot of the podcasts that I hear are geared towards the southern guys, right? And they're it, just losing their minds right now because they've backed up seasons to April 7th. You know, they're, yeah. they're freaking out. I can't believe I don't get to hunt on 
March 15th anymore. And right. my, my youth, my youth season isn't on March 8th this year. Right. I, I've got to go out, you know, April 1st or April 7th. And, and I get it. It's such a departure from what has been the norm and the turkey hunting culture. That would be like changing Wisconsin's nine day deer season. Like right. that, that's the backlash. Like that's the, that'd be like saying, Hey, we're going to start, uh, Three weeks after Thanksgiving now. You're like, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. We can't we can't do that. So tell me a little bit about <clears throat> just kind of that 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 whole process, what the turkeys are doing, you know, when's the the median nesting date when when those when nests are being started and just kind of how the turkey goes throughout the season. Yeah, so again, interestingly, you know, I was listening at the NWTF meeting, it was the Southern guys of Brett Collier, the, the research scientist down in that neck of the woods. And yep. yeah, they, it is a different, different way to think about, it. you know, we're sitting here like, okay, well, even if our youth season, you still might have snow and that's the middle of April. So <laughs> yeah. when, when you're thinking about how they're shifting their season, but we actually was it probably about five, six years ago, we shifted our turkey season a week later. Um, it coincided with the last season falling on Memorial Day. And I think that was really the onus in terms of the public supporting it. But as DNR managers, we were happy with it because, you know, if the public supports us moving in a week later, that gives those early breeders, which, as mm-hmm. I said, the, the, the toms and the hens, the successful ones, that's when they're doing all of their work. Yep. Those later seasons, those, those hens, and again, interestingly, I'm reading in the literature that about 10% of the hens produce all of the poles. Yep. So, so that's, that's the thing to, to think about that is not all hens are created equal. And so if we can give the increased opportunity for those hens to breed and be successful, especially early in the season, that's, that's when we want to take advantage of it. And we know that if you shoot the dominant Tom, it might take two or three weeks before the new structure, the social structure of Tom's to figure out which one's going to be the new dominant one. And all of a sudden you've lost out on all of that opportunity for them to breed with that. hen. and we know that we have hens that will get bred in May or they'll have a failed nest and then re nest again in May or June. And they like only 5% of those nests actually make it to a stage where they'll have poles. So again, there's, it's all happening. You know, that, that range of, Breeding is, is pretty long when you think about it starting in early April and going all the way into June, but it really, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference in terms of those ones that are happening in May and June. The, what is happening early in the season is, is the most important thing in terms of how we get to see our, get to see our population increase. Yeah. And I think one interesting thing that I've read recently uh, talked about the, not only is it the, the turkeys that breed earlier are the successful ones, but it's the poults that are born earlier are the successful ones, right? Later born poults, their chances of survival are like tremendously less. Like it's way low, uh, which blew my mind, but it makes total sense. They're a very competitive animal. So they're, they're not going to get the best habitat. They're not going to get the best areas. Um, One, one interesting observation that I made last year, I was hunting a bird on public land. I'd watched him for a pretty good chunk of the season. The dude would fly down out of this huge tree land in the middle of a private cornfield and was just untouchable. And he would, he would stay on that field just all the time, had all his hens around him. It was, it was crazy. I get in there and get set up on him because he, he had started kind of edging towards the side of this field. I got permission from the farmer. The farmer said, oh, yeah, go back there and shoot him. I'm like, man, nobody else has done this. Like, I don't, why has nobody else tried this? Uh, so he's like, yeah, go back there and shoot him. So I go out there and I get set up and he's gobbling his head off on the roost. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, he's roosting in the same spot every day, yep. you know, and somebody snuck in there and shot him off the roost that morning. I have my oh. video camera pointed up into the trees. I'm getting all this audio. I'm going to see him fly down. I can't see him in the tree. Cause it was, you know, a little bit, things had started to leaf out a bit. I couldn't see him in the tree, but I was going to get him as soon as he came out of the tree, flying down into the field, I was going to get the video. It was going to be great. Um, so anyway, got shot out of the, out of the tree that morning. There was another Tom, uh, or a couple of other Toms that had been in the area and they would kind of run around and act crazy, you know, like subordinate Toms tend to do. Um, three days later, I saw another Tom near that field starting to kind of strut a little bit. And so I went in and I set up that morning where the previous Tom had been roosting and that Tom was in that tree. 
and he yeah. flew down into the middle of the field like that previous time had done, but he wouldn't pop, go into a full strut, and he wouldn't gobble a lot. And the hens right. that were in the field, he wouldn't go to the hens. It was like he he knew, okay, the other he ones. He, yeah, he's trying. The, the other one's not around, but he still wasn't comfortable asserting himself as the dominant bird. It, it just right. was such an interesting thing, and I was like, I guess this is part of why the breeding gets so messed up whenever the dominant bird is taken out because he clearly didn't even know he could breed with these hens without right. getting whooped. And the hens absolutely know it because, again, they want that Tom to be aggressive, to be coming to them, to take charge. And, yeah, that's why it takes so much longer because those Toms have to figure out, okay, which one of it is it going to be? And then the hens then have to, you know, be receptive to that Tom and saying, okay, well, you're the new one. You better better show up. You better be the reason. Yeah, so. yeah. and I, I watched him that morning for probably an hour and a half, um, half strut around in the high part of this field. The hens were all around him. He wouldn't go to them. They weren't coming to him. It was just an, an absolute circus. You know, watching this go on, it's right. like, poor guy. But it's cool It's cool when you watch, though, you get to see that behavior. Like, like oh, you yeah. had an experience with this field that, you know, 99% of hunters have no idea that that's happening. Yeah, and that totally flipped a switch for me in, as far as how I think about, you know, season times because, man, one of my favorites has been early season. Yeah. Uh, not because they're easy to call in at that point, because that season A, they're right. all henned up. <laughs> it's so miserable. But the way they respond to decoys during season A is, man, see, yep. season A and season B, I've just seen the coolest just sprinting from 400 yards away into the decoys, you know, just to come check it out and just such a cool, a cool thing to watch. But um, anyway, so I like that time period. At the same time, I always kind of think like, ah, I don't like taking a bird this early because I've seen what it can do. So, um, yeah, anyway, so let's let's talk a little bit about, so one of the things that the season structure does is it gets some of the hunting pressure off of the woods. Another thing that it does is is help some of the, the, the breeding continue to take place. What are some of the negatives that either you have seen or that others have talked about when it comes to the season structure and is there any any ideas of any tweaks upcoming in the future or are we like eh, this is how it how it is people like it and we're going to keep it yeah again being relatively new to this I, the amount of phone calls that i got in the springtime i was not quite prepared for um because it was just it was an interesting dynamic because if you have a week of bad weather yeah. then it's the DNR's fault because we didn't give them more opportunity to be successful. And again, mm. how do you, how do you handle that? And that, that is, and they see what happens out West where you can have, you know, a two month long season, you can have a four bird bag and things. And yeah, it absolutely provides more opportunity to do so. But it's one of those ones is we still know that the average Turkey hunter in the state of Wisconsin hunts about two or three days and if you give them two months, it's going to probably be about two or three days. So it, it, it's one of those things is that they're going to go out whatever, you know, what opportunity is convenient. And we, we find also that if you, again, with support, if you limit that opportunity, there's more value to it. Yep. Again, people are going to make sure that, hey, I got a week. I'm either taking vacation. I'm doing scouting before because I know that this is important. Whereas if you give them two months, uh, the amount of effort is likely not going to be there. And is that experience going to be as valuable if you didn't put in the type of work to be there? Yeah. So, but yeah, no, the, the number one thing is, is that if they had an unsuccessful season, it's there are no turkeys or the <laughs> DNR didn't give me the opportunity I needed to, to be successful. So yeah. uh, from, from what, again, me being relatively new in this role, uh, based on, you know, all of our other studies that we've looked at and the support from NWTF, the support from the Conservation Congress, the Wildlife Federation, I don't see us shifting this um, until, you know, we see either a huge significant push from the public to do so, or we can, you know, test trial or trial something out to say, okay, can we increase, you know, the, the season length to a certain amount without negatively impacting the population? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's, Man, there's, there's tremendous value in, in the way that it's set up. And like I said, when I first moved 
to Wisconsin, I thought to myself, what in the world is up with the season? Like, how, how is this a thing? Um, but, but I, now I've, I've grown to really appreciate it. And it's also given me the opportunity. Like now I, I look back over, you know, three years, right. Hunting in Wisconsin. That's what I've got under my belt. Um, I've shot turkeys in every season of the year. Uh, I've shot turkeys in the rain. I've shot turkeys with snow on the ground. I've shot turkeys with hot and high winds. I've shot turkeys in 90 degree weather at the end of May. Um, I've done it in every season and it, it just built out this experience level for me because it was, Hey, I've, this is the tag I've got. So I'm going to make it happen, you know, with this tag. And if this farm that I've got permission on is not producing, I'm going to go to the other one down the road or the public right. land down the road. And I'm going to push myself and grow as a hunter. And I feel like that's just made my experiences so much better and sweeter because of, because of the, the way the season set up. Yeah, the, the gambit that you run from, you know, middle of April to the end of May, it, it's a, t- I mean, it's not, you know, like, you know, deer hunting. Okay, well, this you're going to see a deer, you're going to shoot, you, they behave completely different. You know, if you go out, you know, at the last time period, it's going to be quiet. But, man, they're going to be on top of you. It's one of those ones that don't move. All of a sudden, you're going to have a Tom sitting at about five yards coming from behind you and the adrenaline's going to be pumping and you didn't have that you didn't have the gobbling experience but all of a sudden you're like oh no what's going to happen now <laughs> versus the early in the season and the frustration of trying to call three times off of a group of 10 hens and they're yep. just standing out there at 70 yards and you're like come on just give me a little <laughs> bit more so yeah it's it's a unique experience depending on what time period you have as well as depending on where you're located like you said whether you're talking private land you're talking public land you're down south or you're in the north woods it's it is quite the gamut and you learn as a hunter what you need to do you got to be mobile you got to be willing to move around you got to do scouting all of that's super important yeah let's talk just a little bit about uh the future of the wild turkey in wisconsin right i mean um if you look at things around the country there are a lot of reasons to uh kind of wring your hands a little bit a lot of things that are concerning there are a lot of questions that really, really need to be answered before we can uh, really ha- have a lot of hope, you know, in, in some places. I mean, I think about states like Arkansas that have their, their turkey. I mean, can you, how, how much can you even really open up a season when you're talking population numbers like they've got? I right. mean, quite honestly. So, no. so for Wisconsin, we're, again, it's, uh, we have a, management plan, a wild turkey management plan, and the next iteration of that comes up in 2025. Okay. So our goal right now is, so I just, just am starting now is I'm starting to do an evaluation of our previous plan. So what have we done over the last 10 years in terms of research or have we met our um, habitat goals? Um, have we met the goals that we set for hunters that experience our communication, all that type of thing. So in research, the, the research is the one that we're really, we're going to be ramping up going into the next management plan. Right now, we're a little hesitant to jump on with everyone else because you're only two years away. I'd like to have a management plan that's been well thought out with all of our conservation partners, with the public, and then that'll drive where we're going to go for the next decade. Um, but in terms of, we got that game brood survey that we're really excited about. And if we can increase the amount of participation in that, that, that is re- that's going to give us the best bang for our buck. We are doing some pretty cool work with uh, Snapshot Wisconsin. So that in Wisconsin, we got thousands of trail cameras across private and public acreage. Like I think right now our library is up to 5 million photos of wildlife in Wisconsin. And we are designing a program to analyze all of the turkeys that we see. We can almost be able to pull out poults per hen in terms of that when you have, you know, tens of thousands of photos of turkeys just in general. So we have all this resource. So we're going to be looking and putting in some research. I think we're going to try to capture some birds this year, this year and next year, and put some wing tags on them so we can see if we can recite them through the Snapshot Wisconsin and get, you know, a capture, recapture, and analysis on things along those lines. So, um, again, we're in good shape. We're, we're super excited. We're getting really good uh, revenue in terms of the turkey stamp and 100% of the Stuff goes, or 100% of the money from the turkey stamp goes back to managing and goes back to managing habitat in the state of Wisconsin. So 
we, like I said, I think we're in great shape. We got support from the public. We got all of the volunteer work from NWTF, all the other folks that we have adopted wildlife areas, right? Turkeys are awesome. It's, it's one of those this species that again, 50 years ago we didn't have. And now it's, it's one of those things that you think, man, this is, and who's, whose heart doesn't get pumping on April 15th when you hear the first gobble in the morning. So I, I, again, it's this awesome species that everyone can rally around. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and what a, what a conservation success story for the state of Wisconsin. I mean, just one of those things that you can point at and say, our model of conservation at least has been working. You know, we may have to tweak some things moving forward, but it has been working to this point and look at what it's got us. And, uh, you know, one thing I've, I always tell people, if you, um, if you're an outdoorsman and, and maybe you don't like to hunt or maybe you don't like to turkey hunt, but you deer hunt or whatever, Go buy a hunting license anyway, even if you don't hunt. Go buy a fishing license anyway. Buy buy a turkey stamp, by all means. Buy a turkey stamp. There are people in the South right now who are begging their states to create a turkey stamp because they don't have one, and they don't have designated funds, you know, going for the wild turkey. And so it's, it's the primary thing again. And we say, whether you're a hunter or a non-hunter, if you want to see more turkeys, I mean, the turkey stamp go out and, you know, $7 for a turkey stamp or $10 for a turkey stamp. I think it is. Yep. And that, again, that's all money going right back to the state of Wisconsin in terms to manage your local populations. And, yep. and like I said, with the, the turkey management plan, we are going to have uh, public sessions where you guys can help determine how we manage these birds. That's the important thing is it's not the DNR's plan. It's everyone's plan. Yeah. And so if, if people can provide those comments, feel free to give me a call, feel free to, you know, just ask these types of questions. Cause there's nothing that drives me crazier than all of a sudden you see a post on social media that is completely wrong. And then mm-hmm. you see 200 likes on that post and you're like, Oh my God, it's just, it's, this is a, if he would have made one phone call, we could have answered that question. And we have, that's, that's our job. Our job is to provide that information and education. Yep. Yep. Very good. Well, man, last question I've got to ask you, what's on the docket this year? Are you going to be get on the Turkey woods or oh, is work going to oh, pull yeah. you away? Yeah, no, I'm a, so I fly the duck survey. So I count ducks that last week of April, the first week of May, which has always been, that's my that's the time that I want to be out. So well, that's when they're um, talking the last, and that's when they're coming to call. So <laughs> yeah, I know. So the last couple of years I've been the one taking advantage of those late season opportunities. I, I snuck out with my brother this last year. He's a year younger than me and he's never gone out turkey. Hunting. And he's like, Hey, Hey, can, can you take me out? I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go out. And it was between flying the ducks. Everything. He's like, well, I only got one day. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, well, we'll try. And he's like, I think I'm going to bring my bow. And I'm like, you don't want to kill a turkey. Like you're putting all of these restrictions on me. So either way we went out, turkey was gobbling on the roost. Uh, he came down, got real quiet. My brother's getting antsy. I'm like, nope. The moment you think you should move, you need to sit for another 45 minutes and then sit for another hour after that. And yep. like you said, we had a turkey at 70 yards of barreling across the field, jumped on top of my Jake decoy and brother, shot the turkey at 20 yards and it flopped over 10 feet from where he shot it. And at eight 30 on the one day that he could go hunting, he had a 24 pound gobbler. Wow. I'm like, you need to suffer. Like the rest <laughs> of us, you, this isn't fair. Like this is not how turkey hunting goes. So yeah, he oh, was man. super pumped and now he's hooked for life. Man. So you're going to be hitting later season this year. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? The cool part about that time of year, if you can find a turkey goblin on the roost, I, at least for me, my experience if I can find one goblin on the roost, he's probably going to get it in the morning. Yep. You know, yep, if I can working. roost one the they, night before. Coming. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I have a really high success rate when it comes to that. those last couple of weeks. It, they're, they're special. Now, I'm not a big fan of the heat. Um, you know, <laughs> sitting there, yeah, sitting there in, in 90 degrees with a face mask is not my favorite thing. Um, but, you know, got to do what you got to yeah. do sometimes. So, Taylor, man, thanks so much for coming on. It's a wonderful conversation. I think a lot of good information, answering a lot of questions that guys have. Good luck to you this season. And uh, why don't you let folks know where they can go find uh, some of this other information, like you talked about the Game Brood surveys and that kind of thing. Yeah, and when absolutely. To be again, I, I want to thank you for inviting me to be part of this. This has been great. And, again, I want to shout out, if anybody has questions, do not hesitate to, to reach out and contact me. You can go to the Wisconsin DNR um, website, and you just type in turkey, and turkey management will come up, and it has – my name along with my assistant, uh, Alyssa Kakich, on there. 
And then if you want to be part of that game brood survey, literally you go to the DNR website and you type in game brood and it'll come right up. It has a step-by-step instruction on how you can download it onto your phone. There's a QR code. It's super easy in terms of doing it. And again, like I said, it's free. Yep. So make sure that you and it's access every, everywhere. Like I've been up in Vilas County this year and I opened it up. I was doing rough grouse stuff and I had no issues whatsoever. So it's, again, it's easy. It doesn't take up a ton of data. It, and it, like you said, it's exciting. It's one of those ones that you're driving down the road doing, you know, 55, 60. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, got to pull over. And my <laughs> wife is like, do we really? I'm like, yes, we do. We absolutely do. So <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Man, Taylor, thanks for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it, and good luck to you this season. Thanks, sir. Have a good one. You too. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.